The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. In the name of Jesus Christ, I want to welcome you this morning. And I want to thank our youth for leading us so wonderfully and beautifully in worship this morning. Let's give them our appreciation. We are always so, so blessed when our youth take charge and lead in this church. Um, I also want to thank the many of you who have brought your uh, kind words and condolences my way uh, with the loss of my grandmother. Um, Laura and I were in South Dakota uh, for her funeral service this past Sunday, uh, celebrating her life. And so thank you for your kindness and your words. Uh, I did go back and revisit the service from Sunday and was very moved by the lament and the communal prayer throughout. And I just want to say and echo with Ben that uh, this is a time of trial for this church. This is a time of suffering and deep pain for many of us. Ben named some, you know, I think of the Giddens and the McGinns and the Quayars and far too many to actually name this morning. But if you are in a season of great sorrow or trial or suffering, um, I just want to offer to you this morning with the Apostle Paul um, this blessing that may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In a couple of weeks, we will move into the season of Advent here, which is one of my favorite times of year. It's the time when we prepare room in our hearts for the arrival of Jesus Christ, both celebrating his incarnation at Christmas and anticipating his arrival again in the second coming. And as I was looking at the texts for um, the season of Advent, as Ben and I were looking at that, we kind of settled on a theme that goes throughout the text, and we've decided to title Advent, The Joy of the Lord. And I have to admit, over the last few weeks, with all of the trials that each and every one of you have been going through, I started to be a little embarrassed at that title. There was a part of me that felt a little regret. Advent, the joy of the Lord, is that a title for a time such as this? But the more I've thought about it, the more I believe that it's actually exactly the title for a time such as this. That joy is something many of us have never needed more than right now. And joy is not just plastering a smile over the sadness. Joy is not just this flimsy, paper-thin happiness. Joy is thicker than that. Joy has substance to it, and joy can prevail even in the times of great sorrow. And so I hope as we enter this season of Advent that we will remember um, that God's joy, the joy of the Lord, can be found even in dark seasons together. So I hope you'll be here for that as we begin the season of Advent in December. But this morning, we are winding down Luke, the Spirit-powered gospel. This is our second to last Sunday in Luke, and if this is a time of difficult 
trial for you, I think that there could perhaps be no more pertinent text from Luke than today, which is the crucifixion. We're in Luke 23, verses 26 through 49, and it's a bit of a lengthy reading, so I want to ask you to sit tight and focus in on this vital passage together. As they led him away, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country. And they laid the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A great number of the people followed him, and among them were women who were beating their breasts and wailing for him. But Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are surely coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do this when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others also who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching, but the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, crying with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last When the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God and said, certainly this man was innocent. And when all the crowds who had gathered there for this spectacle saw what had taken place, they returned home beating their breasts. But all his acquaintances, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning and we give thanks for your gospel story. A story that has been with us, that will remain with us and will lead us into your good future. Lord, we thank you for enveloping us in that gospel story. 
enfolding us into the unfolding of your grace, your salvation. God, I ask this morning for the gift of preaching. I ask for the gift of your Holy Spirit to be upon us, to open our eyes and ears. We give thanks for this time of worship. Bless us as we continue to worship, as we listen to your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Last month, Laura and I saw the movie A Star is Born. And it's directed by Bradley Cooper, who stars in it with Lady Gaga. And if you haven't seen it, it's a pretty heavy film. It's really well done, though. Some really great acting and great music. Um, And if that name, A Star is Born, sounds familiar, it might be because it's a remake. And not just a remake, but this is actually the fourth iteration of this movie, this story in America. Every generation has gotten its own A Star is Born, beginning with the original in 1937 and then the remake in 1954 and 76 and now in 2018. And so four different times this basic story has been told of this young, talented woman who wants to break into show business and so she uh, has this chance encounter with a successful entertainer who's struggling with addiction and the story ensues. No spoilers here. And so this same basic story has been told four different times in America, but even if you've seen one, it's worth visiting all of them because each has its own distinct vision. Its own distinct vision from its own distinct storyteller talking to their own audience in their own time and place. And so each version has its own eccentricities and qualities and themes throughout. It's an age-old story worth revisiting again and again because every time it's told, you see something in a different light. And I think the same can be said for the crucifixion. For many of us, not all of us, but for many of us, this is an age-old story we've heard again and again and again. And we've heard it four different ways from four different gospel writers. And each one has given us something different, though. It's the same basic story, but each one is told to its own audience in its own time and place with, with its own storytelling vision, its own qualities and themes, eccentricities. And Luke is no exception. The Gospel of Luke gives us gifts us this beautifully distinct version of the death of Jesus Christ, how it happened, what it means, and why it matters. And so I think one of the first most significant features of Luke's telling of the crucifixion is Jesus' journey to the cross. Throughout Luke, this idea of journeying is an important motif. That if you remember back to Luke 9 with the transfiguration, Jesus is talking to Moses and Elijah about what? His departure, his exodus, his taking place in Jerusalem. And so there's this theme of heading towards Jerusalem. It's later in chapter 9 that it says Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem. 
And so there is this journey throughout Luke that Jesus in some regards lives out his ministry and life always on the road to the cross. And that road has brought us here to verses 26 and 27 of chapter 23. It says, as they led him away, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country, and they laid the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A great number of the people followed him, and among them were women who were beating their breasts and wailing for him. So Simon of Cyrene has to be employed to carry Jesus' cross because he's so tired and exhausted and sleep-deprived and has been beaten. And there's this scene with the women, and Jesus tells them, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves for the destruction that's coming on Jerusalem. But I think it's interesting that Matthew, Mark, and John all give us basically one transitional sentence to get Jesus to the cross. It's very spare. It's just something like, and they led him away to crucify him, and he went to the place called Golgotha, the skull. But Luke, elevating this idea of journey, gives us this whole little expanded scene of Jesus making his way to the cross, making his way of suffering, the Via Dolorosa. That's the the Latin word that means the way of suffering or the way of sorrow. This is the way that Jesus took through Jerusalem to the place of the skull to be crucified. And if you go to Jerusalem, you can indeed walk the Via Dolorosa or something like what they think was Jesus' route to the cross. And in fact, I've had some people close to me that have gotten to walk this in the last couple of years by in-laws, Larry and Kathy, and our very own uh, Luke and Meredith Walvert as well. And when they talk about walking the Via Dolorosa in Jerusalem, one of the common themes was kind of lamenting the commercialization. It's, uh, as my mother-in-law said, it's just very crowded and touristy, even as she admitted she was one of the tourists in the crowd. But one of the other things that Meredith Walvert actually pointed out was how narrow the streets are. You know, this isn't I-35 barreling down to Dallas, our idea of a road. But when Jesus is walking through, he can hear the weeping. He can see the malice. He can probably feel the spittle and the shame. That the sorrow is closing in on him on this way of suffering, the Via Dolorosa, the way to the cross. And finally, Jesus arrives. Two others also who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. It's interesting to me that none of the gospel writers really talk that much about the gory, gruesome, physical details of crucifixion. Right? None of the gospel accounts give us this Mel Gibson-directed, blow-by-blow, detailed account of the shameful and embarrassing and gory details of what makes up a crucifixion. Now, the obvious reason for some of that is that their audiences were familiar with crucifixions. These were very public events 
They weren't rare occurrences. Thousands endured crucifixion in those days. But I also think, as helpful as it is for us to contemplate and investigate what a crucifixion would have physically been like for Jesus, I also think we should take our cues from the gospel writers. That perhaps we should focus on the details that they give us. Perhaps when we come to the cross, the questions are not always what or how of the crucifixion, but who and why. Who is this man? Why is he being killed? I think Jesus begins to give us at least an answer to that question why in the next verse. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. This has to be one of the most astounding sentences uttered in all of Scripture, all of literature all of history, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. In the midst of this horrific death, what does Jesus say to the ones who are killing him? He intercedes on their behalf. He prays for them from the cross. I think What the cross shows us, why the cross matters, is because on the cross we see definitively that Jesus' talk is not cheap. Jesus' talk is not cheap. We have this phrase, talk is cheap, right? When we are talking about our propensity to pay lip service to something and not follow through on it, to kind of promote our ideals and not live up to them. But on the cross, in this prayer specifically, Jesus is saying, guess what? All those teachings I gave you, all that stuff, that crazy stuff I said about loving your enemies, I meant every word. All that stuff I said in Luke chapter 6, but I say to you that, listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, Pray for those who abuse you. On the cross, Jesus confirms that these were never just words to him. They were a way of life. They were the life of God, of a God who would rather die for his enemies than damn them. You know, in an age when Talk really does seem to be cheap at times. In an age when powerful men promote themselves as allies of women and then in private coerce and abuse and assault. In an age when some of our leaders uh, posture themselves as friends of justice and then defraud behind closed doors. In an age when Many, if not all of us, find it very easy to trumpet our ideals digitally, to plaster our virtues on glass screens and then not live up to them. In an age when talk is cheap, 
The cross is a powerful symbol that it is not. The cross is where we find that Jesus' talk is not cheap. It is costly. It cost him everything. Father, forgive them. And I have to imagine that it's possible that two people heard him utter this prayer. I have to imagine that two people may have heard Jesus utter this prayer, those that were presumably closest to him, the thief, the criminal on his left, and the criminal on his right. They may have been watching Jesus through this whole time when they're about to be crucified together. And so we see in verse 39 that one of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly. We are getting what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And Jesus said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. I'm struck by how above and beyond Jesus goes of the criminal's expectations. Right? He just says, remember me when you get into your kingdom. And Jesus says, you're going to be in paradise with me today. But I have to imagine this criminal has been watching Jesus. He's seen his meekness in the face of such great scorn and humiliation and insulting. And yet, in the midst of all that, he hears Jesus utter this prayer. And he's pricked in the heart. He's moved to repent, to confess that Jesus is the Messiah, the King of his kingdom. And what I think these two criminals represent to us, on the one side, deriding, insulting, rejecting, and on the other side, confessing, repenting, trusting are the two possible responses to Jesus Christ that we get in Luke's account of the crucifixion. There are a lot of reactions to Jesus' crucifixion throughout this story. There are the chief priests and the leaders who are trying to kill him. There's Pilate who essentially lets them do it. There are the soldiers who mock him. There are the crowds that are just observing. There's the centurion who declares him innocent. And there are these criminals representing, amidst all of these reactions, I believe they boil down to two basic responses. Rejection or repentance. That you can look at Jesus Christ crucified and amid all the various responses, you can boil it down to either rejection or repentance. You can insult and scorn and just watch and let it happen. Or you can be pricked to the heart. You can see your own just condemnation. And you can be moved to embrace the one who forgives. And so I think what the Gospel of Luke is asking us 
in chapter 23 is how will you respond to the cross? What will your reaction and response be to Jesus Christ crucified? Will you reject and insult and mock and deny or even just watch as the crowds do? You know, because some people think they can find this third way of just observing neutrally, right? That they can just watch and not really reject or deny, but kind of be agnostic and not make a decision. But that supposedly neutral observing spills over to one side or the other. It will come to fruition in either rejecting or repenting. Because following Jesus is a decision and many of us I think have even paid lip service to wanting to embrace Jesus Christ to admiring him to wanting to believe him but in the end we haven't actually taken up our cross like Simon of Cyrene followed in the footsteps of Jesus carrying that burden and so I think Luke presents us with these two options, rejection or repentance in the face of Jesus Christ crucified. But the really crazy thing is, is that even in the midst of rejection and repentance, Jesus prays for both. Even the ones who've rejected Jesus get a prayer of intercession, Father, forgive them. So wide is the mercy and the expanse of God's love that even the rejectors, the enemies, have been forgiven by Jesus. That is talk that is not cheap. And those are words by which to live and to base the foundation of our lives. Church, will you walk the Via Dolorosa with Jesus? Will you walk the way of sorrow, carrying the cross to follow him into his kingdom? Will you follow his words of mercy, his strength and power? I pray that you would. Church, there is no third way. There is only the way, the truth, and the life in Jesus Christ our Savior. Let's stand and praise Him together this morning.